Uh, for those that don't know who I am, my name is Chelsea Jasky. I am the youth director here at Central. And as always, it's just a pleasure and an honor to be able to share with you some messages that God's maybe been laying on my heart. Uh, hopefully that maybe a little bit, just take away one piece that might resonate with you this morning as well. So we are in the, like week eight or something of the series called House Party. And Pastor Ryan has done an incredible job talking about the provision and the goodness of God in his house, in his church. And he's really set up how our church here at Central, some of the values that we have and how those align with God's overall picture and vision, picture and vision for our lives. Well, again, we're going to continue this house party series. And quite frankly, my entire message is all about parties today. But while Pastor Ryan might have kind of flown the plane pretty low in terms of it being very localized for us, I'm going to kind of take that plane thousands of feet higher, and we're going to really talk about this big picture party that is going on. But just to kind of kick things off and get things started, I'm going to take a quick poll of the room. How many of you, just by show of hands, are true extroverts? Carrie, I'm like looking straight at you. <laughs> true extroverts. So those that just love to get out, socialize, it brings you energy. Any other true extroverts out there? Okay, got a few. Yep. All right, opposite end. How many of you are introverts, true introverts, where you just would rather just kind of, yeah, close off, you like your space and your privacy? All right. How many of you kind of fall somewhere in the middle? So I like to call myself like an extroverted introvert. So I am, I'm pretty outgoing and bubbly. I can turn it on when I need to. But when it comes down to it, there gets a point where I'm overstimulated by people and I just need my space. Anybody that's kind of in the middle there? Yeah, and it's fair to say that obviously we're not always extroverted or always introverted. We kind of fall somewhere along this spectrum. But the fact of the matter is, whether you're extroverted or introverted, one thing that we all have in common is we've all been invited to a party, right? We've all had parties that we've been invited to. And America, I mean, we don't need any other excuses to celebrate. We have celebrations for every occasion under the sun, right? We have graduation parties, birthday parties, holiday parties, gender reveal parties. I mean, the list goes on and on. And these parties, you know, they vary. They vary in purpose. They vary in size. They vary in why we're celebrating. Sometimes it's truly just to get together and have fun. Other times, these parties have very strong political and maybe social agendas that are attached to them. Um, one very, I would say, highly socially charged party that took place in the last couple of years was the royal wedding. So this happened in 2018. Did anyone follow along to the royal wedding between Prince Harry and Meghan Markle? Okay, so this was obviously like the, the party of the century for that year. And what's interesting is obviously, probably none of us received an invitation to that wedding. Because the only people that were really getting an invitation to that royal wedding were somebodies, right? They were celebrities, they were royalty themselves, they were friends and family of the royal party. Your average everyday American was not getting an invitation to this party, and yet, I looked up the statistic online, 29 million people tuned in to watch this celebration take place. 29 million people. Because 29 million of us wanted just a little taste of what it would feel like to be in this party, in this celebration of the century. 
And Jesus, in Jesus' day when he was walking the earth, you know, parties were really no different. There were a lot of different reasons for their gatherings, and oftentimes there was very strong social and political undercurrents that pushed these parties through. And today, we're going to look at Luke chapter 15, and we're going to look at the entire chapter, but I want to just kind of set this up for you and where we're at. Luke 15 takes place in the middle of kind of this larger conversation that Jesus is having with these really high-ranking, well-known people. They're the Pharisees and these religious leaders of the day. And this conversation that Jesus is having is all about these gatherings and these parties. It's all about who's in and who's out, who's a somebody and who's a nobody. But these Pharisees and these religious leaders who are kind of hearing Jesus talk about this concept, they think it has to only do with these physical parties that they're having. And Jesus is trying to help them understand that it's about something so much deeper than that. That there's this thread and there's this undercurrent that ties this whole section of scripture together that's about something so much deeper than just who's invited to these these social parties and who's not. And so we're going to talk about that today. And I know if you look at your bulletin and your outline, there's a lot of scripture in there. But what I really want to do, again, is just set it up for you. And then we'll, at the end, kind of pull some, some pieces from it. But it's important to just set the tone of it first so that we can see this bigger picture that's going on. So let's just start in Luke 15. If you have your Bibles, open them, turn them on, whatever you need to do. Luke 15, starting just in verse 1. So it says this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners... We're all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now I want to stop for just a second because here's where we're at. Essentially, we have this party going on. We have tons of people gathered around Jesus. And at this party, we have people from two very different ends of the social spectrum. We have these Pharisees and these, ta- or these, Pharisees and these religious leaders who were kind of seen as like high-status individuals. And then on the opposite end of this social spectrum, we have these sinners and these tax collectors. And we have everybody kind of in between. And of course, these Pharisees and these religious leaders are doing what they do best. They're muttering and they're complaining. And they're essentially saying, this Jesus guy is allowing these weird kids to sit at our lunch table. What the heck is he doing inviting these kids to sit with us when we're the cool ones, we're the popular ones? Why are they allowed to sit at the same table that we're sitting at? And I can just imagine Jesus kind of shaking his head and being like, you just don't get it. And so he goes into telling us or helping these Pharisees understand that there's something deeper going on here, but he does so by telling three different stories, three parables. And they're parables that you've heard before, but again, I want us to kind of see this undercurrent that is happening below And so Jesus is like, all right, how am I going to get these guys to understand this? And so he's like, I'm going to tell them a story. Let's see if they relate to this. And so he goes into this first story, and it's the parable of the lost sheep. Again, we've heard this before, but I'm just going to read it to you. Jesus says, all right, all right, guys, listen up. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. 
And again, I imagine at this point in the conversation, these Pharisees are sitting there staring at Jesus with crickets kind of going on in the background like, say what? What the heck are you talking about? What's this, this whole story about sheep and shepherds and losing them? Like, we're just saying we don't want these weird kids to sit with us. And it, it, Jesus is like, you guys just don't get it. And a side note to this too, at this time, shepherding would have been a very dirty job. And so for Jesus to sit here and tell a story and compare these high-ranking Pharisees to these low social class shepherds, they would have not only been very confused, but they also probably would have been very offended at the time as well. But Jesus is like, all right, I got to change my approach because clearly they're not getting it. So he goes into parable number two, and it's the parable of the lost coin. And it says this, he says, okay, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And then when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so we've, we've read these stories before. We've heard these parables. We see this connection that Jesus is trying to make. We see this connection of something belonging, of something being lost, of something being found, and then it being celebrated. But again, these Pharisees just don't get it. And so Jesus goes into the third and final parable, and it's the parable of the lost son. And I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to summarize it for you. But essentially how this story goes is that there's this son who says to his father, he's like, Dad, you know what? You're dead to me. Just give me my money. Give me my inheritance. I'm tired of living under you. I want to live my life the way I want to live it. So the father's like, all right, son, here's your money. Go enjoy your life. And so this son, he takes this money and he spends it on gambling and prostitutes and drugs and yachts and it, the Bible says living this lavish and sinful lifestyle. And he gets to this point where he runs out of money, he has no place to sleep and no food to eat, and he finds himself in a literal pig pen fighting the pigs for food to eat. And he realizes that if I continue down this path, I'm going to die. And he remembers that he has a father back home who has servants in his house that are at least eating a meal. And at this point, the son has you know, no intentions of rekindling that bond between him and his father because he knows that bridge is broken. But all he wants is some food. And so he makes this plan to just go back to his father just to beg to be a servant in his household. And so he wanders home, and the minute the father sees the son walking down the road, the father runs to him. He wraps his arms around him. He tells everyone, bring a robe, bring a, a ring to put on his finger, sandals on his feet. Let's celebrate the fact that my son is home. And the son is like, no, dad, you don't, you don't get it. I just wasted all your money. Like, I don't deserve a celebration. I don't even deserve to be here. And the father says, no, I don't have time for that. Come and celebrate. Let's celebrate the fact that you are home. And so what I love particularly about where Jesus goes with this parable when he's telling this parable to the Pharisees is that it doesn't end here. We see in the other two parables that it ends after the celebration, that the sheep gets lost, is found, is celebrated. The coin gets lost, is found, is celebrated. But Jesus again understands that these guys just don't get it and they need something more to understand. And so it 
we continue reading on in verse 25. It says this. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother, hold on to this, became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. What I find interesting here is that there is this party, there's this celebration that is taking place for this son that is coming home, but this brother, he is so caught up in his story of how life isn't fair and how he doesn't think this party should be happening that he refuses, again it says, he becomes angry and refuses to join in. He refuses to be a part of the party because he's so caught up in this story of how he feels like he's been wronged. And I can't help but think that this is a direct nod to the Pharisees, that Jesus is directly nodding at them because when the Pharisees are hearing this story, they are at a party with Jesus. They are sitting across from him face to face, and there's a celebration going on, but they are refusing to join into that celebration because they are so caught up with how they think it's unfair that these sinners and these tax collectors also get to be at this party. And so essentially what's happening is that there's this, they're at this party, but they're not actually at the party. And I think we've all experienced this to some physical degree. How many of you have ever been driving down the road and you kind of get lost in your music or your thoughts and you get to a certain point when you realize, oh crap, where, what happened the last 10 minutes? Was I even driving the last 10 minutes? Did I even make that turn? Did I slow down? Did I get where I was going? It's like we were, our bodies are physically driving, but because we're so caught up in our minds or our music or whatever's going on around us, we're not actually like mentally there. And that's what happens here, is that there's this party, this celebration, but these stories are preventing these guys from really seeing and enjoying the experience. But what I love is that it doesn't end here. Jesus continues on in the way that this ends, this Luke 15 ends, is so beautiful. But we have this brother who's essentially complaining and saying, Dad, I've done all these things for you all these years, and now you just let this other brother of mine come in, and there's a celebration and a party for him and not for me. And the father says, my son, this is verse 31, my son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Essentially what this father is saying is like, you're both my boys. You both have always been my sons. And yet everything you've done, there's been a party going around, going on around you this entire time. You've been able to join in. Everything I have is yours. But this other son, who's also my son, who I love just as much, he wasn't able to join in that celebration. But now he's back and he can join in. Church, that's the theme, that's this thread that is tying this whole section together. 
is this idea of belonging. You see, the sheep belonged to the shepherd the entire time. The coin belonged to the woman the entire time. The son belonged to the father the entire time. No amount of their lostness ever changed the fact that they always belonged. And that is the message of today. That's the title of my sermon is that there is a party going on that when you accept Jesus Christ into your life and you believe in him, you belong. And no amount of your lostness, no amount of anything that you do or say will ever change the facts that you belong. And there is a party going on around you and you're already at the party But unfortunately, just like this brother and these Pharisees, we have these stories that prevent us from ever feeling like we belong. And while the fact of the matter is that our belongingness never changes, sometimes we often feel like an outsider looking in. Sometimes we feel like we aren't actually at the party when in reality, we are. And so I want to talk now about some of the stories that prevent us from feeling like we belong. And the first story that we get caught up in is this, what I like to call a comparison game. It's comparison. And just to kind of have some fun to kick things off, we're going to play a little comparison game. So you've probably played something similar to this before, but it's just this or that. So I want just by show of hands, um, I'm going to show two pictures on the screen. I want you to just raise your hand on which one you prefer. So we'll start out easy, and then it might get a little bit more intense as we go on. But first one is, okay, beach vacation or mountain vacation? So how many of you are beach vacationers? Okay, good mix. All right, what about mountain vacationers? Yeah, that was the first service, too. There's way more mountain than beach. I thought it'd be opposite. I'm definitely a beach gal. Give me beach vacation all day long. All right, number two, salty versus sweet. So how many of you are salty? Oh, not salty, like salty foods. (laughs) How many of you like salty foods over sweet foods? (laughs) Okay, how many of you like sweet foods over salty foods? Right, so that's pretty split. So definitely, um, I like salty foods more than sweet foods. (laughs) All right, number three. Ooh, yeah, so this is where we start to get the debates on. All right, toilet paper, go over the roll or under the roll? Who's over the roll? Okay, is there anybody that's under? Sinners. Never do you put the toilet paper under the roll. It's always over. (laughs) All right. I specifically put this one in here for Pastor Ryan because he's a huge Android. But iPhone versus Android. Who's iPhone users? Yeah, definitely. Who's Android users? Uh, No, I will be iPhone all the way. (laughs) All right. James versus Jordan. So LeBron James versus Michael Jordan as the best basketball player of all time. So who says LeBron James? Who's sports fans out there? Okay, we got one. Wow. Who says Michael Jordan? Oh, yeah. So definitely the, definitely the favorite there. We're still talking about Michael Jordan. He's got to be the greatest of all time. And, oh, yeah, we got a couple more. So pineapple on pizza. <laughs> Who says that, yes, pineapple belongs on pizza? Yes. <laughs> I'm a huge Hawaiian pizza fan, so yes, all the way. What about no? Who says pineapple should never be on pizza? <laughs> okay. 
And the last one. How many of you have seen this picture before? So I think this broke the internet when it came out. When I did this at youth group, it caused physical fights. But looking at this picture, what color do you think this dress is? How many of you say this dress is blue and black? Who are my blue and black camp? Okay. How many of you see white and gold? Yeah, every time, it's like 50-50. It's crazy how equal it is. Is anyone kind of in the middle? So for me, I've always seen blue and gold. Is there anybody that's kind of in the middle? Yeah, that's what I see, and so, yeah. But it's what's interesting about this is once you see one, I mean, it's physically, I think, impossible to see the other color, right? So I think this will divide us forever, but... So these are just obviously fun examples of comparing kind of what our preferences are and what we see. And it's really easy to do things like this, even when it comes to toilet paper and what color the dress is. But it's a whole lot different when it comes to our actual everyday lives. And when we constantly compare our lives to those lives of people around us. Because if we're not talking about toilet paper and beach versus mountain, it's our marriages, it's our kids, our careers, our finances. These things, it's a whole lot different to constantly be looking left and right to see where we stand versus where other people stand. And I call this the comparison game because for some reason we think that throughout our lifetime we're either earning points or we're losing points. It's like the good things that we do, we just get more and more points, and then the, the bad things that we do, well, there's another point that's lost. And it's this game we think that we play, and at the end of our lives, we stand in front of Jesus, and he has this clipboard, and he analyzes how many points we've earned or lost to determine whether or not we get into the party or not. And the brother and these Pharisees, they fall victim to this story, to this idea of comparison, because the brother blames the last brother and says, I've earned all these points for you and he's lost all these points. How in the world do we both get to be at the party? Same thing with the Pharisees. We've done all these righteous and holy things. We have way more points than these sinners and these tax collectors. But Jesus comes to tell us that that's not how it works. He comes to tell us that it's never been about the points. It kind of reminds me of a show that I watched growing up. Uh, has anyone heard of Whose Line Is It Anyway? So, and I'm talking about the old version where it's like Drew Carey, right, and you have Ryan, Colin, and Wayne, and essentially what the show is all about is these comedians who get together and they try to just make the audience laugh. That's the whole point of the show. But in the beginning of every single episode, Drew Carey, the host, says the exact same thing. And maybe you guys can help me out with this. He says, welcome to Whose Line Is It Anyway, where everything is made up, and the points don't matter. And I think that's what Jesus comes to tell us. He's like, when you're constantly comparing your worth based on other people, those are just games that are made up. Those points, they don't actually matter. Because when you love me and accept me, you're already at the party. You can't earn enough points to get your way in and you can't lose enough points to be kicked out. You're already at the party. And unfortunately, some of us will do anything it takes when we feel we get so lost in the story and we feel like an outsider. We'll do anything to try to feel like we belong. 
will get up at 3 a.m. to watch a royal wedding just to feel and get a taste for what it feels like. But church, when are you going to let go of this game of comparison? Because at the end of the day, everything's made up and the points don't matter. The second story that we fall victim to um, is a tough one because I think to some extent we all know that it's not good to compare ourselves to other people, right? But this second story, um, unfortunately, some of us are so lost in this story that we physically just cannot see beyond it. And we, we build up these walls and we get defensive and we say things like, well, she doesn't know what she's talking about because she hasn't lived long enough. And this is the story of blame. It's the story of victimhood. It's the story of feeling like the world is out to get us and it's everybody else's fault why we are suffering. I want to tell you a quick story about something that happened to me and it's a silly story, but I promise it has a point. So, I love Taco Bell. Any other Taco Bell fans out there? So I am convinced that Taco Bell is the most delicious fast food chain there is, but it's also the messiest fast food chain there is. I'm also convinced that there's not a single thing you can order on the Taco Bell menu that you can safely eat while driving. And this happened to me the other day. I was craving Taco Bell, went through the drive-thru, got my meal, uh, and the first bite I took of my taco, the entire thing just in my lap, on the floor, in the, those crevices that you never want food to fall between. And of course, you know, I order all the extras, the sour cream, the nacho cheese, and so it's just this extra mess in front of me. And so immediately, I'm just like in this, this rage, right? This like anger and this frustration, like, are you kidding me, Taco Bell? Like, why can't you make anything that actually stays together when you take a bite of it? And so I take a drink of my iced tea to find out that my unsweetened tea was actually sweet tea. And for those that know me know that I hate sweet tea. <laughs> I, I hate sweet tea, it always has to be unsweetened, and so now at this point, I'm like really upset. <laughs> and to add on to this, the one thing that I've prayed about more than ever when I've been in a hurry is hitting every single green light. You guys know, you're from Carol, right? Through Carol, through town. The one thing I've prayed about is actually happening. I'm hitting every green light, but in fact, I am praying this day for there to be one red light so I can just stop and kind of try to clean up this mess that I've created in front of me. And it's silly because all I had to do was pull over to the side of the road to analyze the mess that I had made, to take the necessary steps to clean it up, and to get on my way. And it would have taken maybe five extra minutes. But this whole incident that happened to me just colored the rest of my day, and I was just in a bad mood, and I just felt like this day was just going down the drain. And again, it's a silly example. You're probably like, it's Taco Bell, Chelsea. It's not that big of a deal. But how often in our lives do we resort to this mentality of victimhood and of blame and how the world is out to get us and everything's not going our way? And you know what, church? This is good. Pastor Ryan says this all the time. This is going to be my controversial statement of the day, but I think it needs to be said. I'm tired. I'm tired of us blaming our spouses for the problems in our marriage. I am tired of us blaming our financial situation for why our life sucks. I am tired of blaming our kids and our jobs for why we're so stressed out all the time. I'm tired of blaming that awful thing that happened to us years ago for the reason why we can't smile today. 
And look, I get it. I don't know some of the things that you're going through, and I will never understand why some of those things happen to you. But the fact of the matter is, is that there is a party going on around you. There is a life that God has called you to live that is full of peace and that is full of joy and that is full of celebration. And your story of blame and victimhood is just holding you back from experiencing that life. You see, when we hold other people or we hold our circumstances accountable for our happiness, essentially what we're saying is, you know what, God, you're not good enough. That in order for me to actually truly be happy, I need you to change X, Y, and Z in my life first, and only then, God, will you be good enough for me. And these Pharisees and this brother, they fall victim to this story, this same story. They're at the party, but they can't join in because they are blaming everyone around them. Because it's easier to just blame someone else than to actually pull over to the side of the road, to analyze the mess that's in front of you, to maybe take the necessary steps that it takes to clean up that mess, and to keep going. You see, Jesus doesn't need to change a single thing in your life today for you to experience the joy that is happening. You are already at the party and the only thing that is holding you back is that story of blame and victimhood. There's a saying that we say in our household all the time um, and it's something that I picked up from a book that just really resonated with me. And it's this, it's that everything is figure outable. And I started saying this because my five-year-old, I would notice these situations where he would get really frustrated. He'd be trying to zip up his coat and he couldn't get it to line up, or he'd be playing with Legos and they'd fall apart in his hand, he couldn't quite get it. And I would just see this wall of frustration just build up inside of him, and this temptation to just want to give up and throw his hands in and quit. And so what I would do is I'd come along beside him, and I'd put my arm around him and say, everything is figure-outable. Let's figure this out together. And it didn't happen overnight, it took some time, but eventually it came to a point where now he's saying it back at me. <laughs> there are times where I'll get frustrated and he'll say, mommy, everything's figure outable. <laughs> but you know what, it works. It's like we get frustrated, we get caught up in our stories and we have this we, tendency to wanna just give up. But then Jesus, he comes along beside us and he puts his arm around us and he says, everything is figure-outable. Let's figure this thing out together. And I might not change things the way you want them to be changed, but I promise you, I will be here right next to you figuring this thing out together. All of us have a story of blame, of victimhood that we're holding on to. All of us are trying to hold other people or our circumstances accountable for our happiness. But my question for you this morning is this, are you willing to let that go? Are you willing to understand that you're already at the party? Are you willing to say, yes, God, you are enough. Even if nothing changes, you are enough. The third and final story that we get caught up in, again, that keeps us from feeling like we belong, is I'm convinced the devil's most evil but effective tactic, and it's our story of shame. And our stories of shame, they're deep, and they're messy, and they can come from anywhere, and they can come before we're even old enough to realize 
that they're a story of shame that we've carried around for so long. It can come from that little girl inside you walking, watching as a loved one walks out, never to return. It can come from a classroom of kids laughing at you and making fun of you because you mispronounced a word. It can come from the isolation and abandonment of everyone turning their backs on you when you tell them that you are gay. It can come from a girl sitting in an apartment, pregnant and unmarried, wondering if she should go to church or to the abortion clinic the next day. These shame stories, they are deep and they are real and they make us think that we are so lost and so far gone that our God of the universe, there's no way that he will ever accept us as we are. And we think that that's great, what that preacher's saying on Sunday morning, I'm glad it works for everyone else, but there's no way that it applies to me. But the reality is, again and again, you are already at the party. When you say yes to Jesus, you belong to him. And no shame story, nothing you've done, nothing you've said, nothing you will do will ever change the fact that you are his. You are a son and a daughter of the God of the universe, and that will never change. You know, the son in this story, he has this deep shame story that he's ready to divulge to his father of how he's not worthy. And he says, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And the father just says, no, 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 we don't have time for that. Don't you see? You've always been my son. We don't have time for that shame story. Come and celebrate. When I was in sixth grade, all my friends played softball. And so I wanted so badly to just play softball. Um, so I decided that I was going to go out for one year. And so my parents would tell you otherwise because they're my parents and they're supposed to tell you that I'm good at everything. I was not very good at softball. <laughs> I mean, to the point where I would strike out every single time that I was at bat and I would get tears in my eyes because I knew that I was going to strike out. And so at the end of that season, I remember thinking, you know what, I am just not good enough for softball. But we had one game left, and I was like, I'm going to stick it out to the end of the season. And I'll never forget this because, you know, I'm at bat, I'm crying, you know, tears. <laughs> and I, all of a sudden, I, I go to swing, and, and I hit the ball. And I'm like, wait, what? What just happened? I hit the ball. And my teammates are like, run, Chelsea, run. And not only did I hit the ball, it was actually a good hit. And so I'm rounding first, rounding second, like on my way to third, and the third base coach is like, Chelsea, slide, slide so you can be safe. And so I slide, and the, the ref or the ump calls me safe. And at this point, I am on cloud nine. I am so ecstatic and excited. I'm like, wait a second, maybe I am good enough to play softball. But what I didn't realize <laughs> is that you can still be tagged out after you slide, because what happened is I had taken my foot off the bag as I was like getting up and I didn't like let the ump know that I needed some time. And so the gal had actually tagged me out for taking my foot off. And so I remember walking back to the dugout just kind of in utter defeat. And my friends, they didn't mean it to be harmful or anything, but like, Chelsea, are you kidding me? You had such a good hit and you completely ruined it. And that was the moment that I decided I wasn't good enough to play softball that it just wasn't for me. I'm from Fort Dodge, and a couple weeks ago, the Fort Dodge girls won the state 5A class softball championship. And I know the coach, I know a lot of the players, and to watch them celebrate that victory and to lift up that trophy, I mean, it still gives me goosebumps to see that. And I can't help but think that 
if any of those same girls had let an out at bat, had let a strikeout, or any one of their number of failures that they probably had on the field in prior years, if they had let those stories make them feel like they weren't good enough to play softball and to take them out of the game, they wouldn't be there celebrating that championship. Church, I know it feels like you have struck out time and time again. I know it feels like you've been called out and that you might not be good enough for the life that God has given you. But the game is not over until God takes you home. Don't bench yourself early. There is a party and a celebration that is happening all around you right here today. And these stories of comparison, these stories of shame, and these stories of blame are preventing you from celebrating that life. And so, church, I want to ask you, are you willing to let go of those stories today? Are you stuck in a story of blame? If so, I want you to know you're already at the party. Are you stuck in a story of comparison? You're already at the party. And that shame story you've been holding on to for so long, you're already at the party. Claudia is going to sing a song for us, and I want you to, there's some space at the end of your bulletin that asks you the question, you know, what story are you willing to let go of today? And I want you to take this time to really reflect and ask yourself what stories you've been holding on to so that you can walk out of these doors today knowing that there is a life full of joy and peace and celebration that God has given you and that you have the choice to join into that party today. You're already at the party.